0: Tonight I'm going to be teaching about the topic of exploring the Middle East war prophecies of Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38. These are topics covered in the books you see up there, the now prophecies and the next prophecies. These are two books in an end time series that attempts to lay out the chronological order of prophetic events, unfulfilled prophetic events that could happen between now and the second coming of Jesus Christ. When these two prophecies happen, these are major Middle East war prophecies written centuries ago. When these two prophecies find fulfillment, the world will be changed. They're, they're marquee events. The way the world looks at Israel will be changed, and the way the world looks at the God of Israel will definitely be changed. They will have a certain respect for him. Not everyone will believe in God at that point, but they will have an undeniable awareness that he does exist. And we may be here as a church for these prophecies we may not be also. So it's important to understand them and how they will affect the world. So we're going to take a look at those. Now, the theory on this book series is that there's still hundreds of prophetic verses that have not found fulfillment yet. And obviously they won't find fulfillment at the same time when they do find fulfillment, but they are all all essentially stage setting for their fulfillment right now. So we're going to attempt to sequence the now versus the next. Now, what are the now prophecies? Make sure my thing is on here. Okay, here we go. go. Now, the now prophecies are the prophecies throughout time that benefited the affected populations the most. So, for instance, let me read what they are, and then we'll talk about a few examples historically. The now prophecies are the unfulfilled ancient biblical predictions that appear to be imminent, which means they could happen now. These foretellings have either minor or no remaining preconditions inhibiting them from happening at the present time. In other words, we could wake up, and these prophecies I'm about to share with you could happen. You could wake up tomorrow morning, and any one of these prophecies could be happening. Now, a few examples. So, for instance, Noah. His now prophecy was to understand there was a worldwide flood that was coming. That was really important to him. Joseph, in Egypt, he needed to understand that seven years of famine were coming Fortunately, they would be preceded by seven years of plenty that he could prepare for them. Jeremiah needed to let the Jewish people in Judea know that 70 years of captivity was coming. So what do we need to know now? Well, there's several things on the prophetic calendar that could happen at the present time. So for instance, there's a destruction in Iran in Jeremiah chapter 49 dealing with ancient Elam. We're talking about another prophecy dealing with Iran tonight in Ezekiel 38, but that's dealing with Persia. There's the destruction of Damascus in Isaiah 17, I'll go over that tonight. Toppling of Jordan, I'll go over that tonight. A terrorization of Egypt, a final Arab-Israeli war, that would be Psalm 83. Expansion of Israel in the aftermath, we'll see that Israel actually expand territorially. And the vanishing of the Christians, of course, the rapture of the church. Jesus could come get his bride at any given moment. And the more we see these signs of the time stage setting, the sooner his arrival to come get us must certainly be. Now, the next prophecies have a few preconditions. And like I said, the book is out there at my resource table. I just completed it and published it. And by the way, next time I'm here, which is December 16th, I will have the DVD that goes with it as well. We're just producing that right now. So the next prophecies have at least one or more significant preconditions prohibiting their final fulfillment. Although these next prophecies appear to be presently stage setting their completion is being prevented by some other epic prophetic event. Or series of events—they're about to happen, but they have some preconditions. And I'll be telling you uh, why I think Ezekiel 38 actually is a next, not a now, prophecy. But some of those next prophecies are the destruction of Russia in Ezekiel 38. Uh, at, which, at which point in that prophecy God will uphold His holy name. I will go over that and how important that is tonight. The decline of Islam. Yes, Allah is about to lose His Akbar, as we see these wars. <laughs> that's his greatness. They'd say, Allah is the greater God, when they shout Allahu Akbar. And when we see these Middle East wars, Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, are predominantly Muslim wars that will be defeated, and uh, Allah will be in serious trouble at that point. The construction of the Jewish temple, the harlot world religion of Mystery Babylon, we cover that in the next Prophecies book, the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, the rise of the world leader, the Antichrist, and then Christian martyrdom, yes, There will be Christian persecution, three different phases after the rapture. So we get into all that in the next Prophecies book. So when it comes to Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38, you're going to be seeing some maps and lines of force up there so you can kind of get an idea of what we're talking about because when these prophets wrote, they did not have modern-day nations in their vernacular. They had ancient names. So Psalm 83 represents an inner circle of countries that share common borders with Israel. You see that circle up there. There are ancient names of Gabal, Tyre, Assyria, Felicia, Ammon, and I'll go through these more and more tonight. Uh, They're superimposed over their modern day equivalents. They are Syria and Lebanon and Egypt and Jordan and of course the Palestinians and the Hezbollah and Hamas are terrorist groups within those parameters there. They share common borders with Israel. They've been Israel's notorious enemies from time immemorial and they are predominantly all Muslim, and they're predominantly all Arab. Conversely, we have Ezekiel 38, which none of these countries, written by Ezekiel, share any common borders with Israel. They're predominantly Muslim, but not predominantly Arab, and they have never been Israel's notorious enemies. So we have some distinct differences there already, and they do not share common borders with Israel. Now, at some point, they will become Israel's enemies, and they will come to invade Israel, so we'll take a look at that. uh, marquee event. So tonight, what I'm gonna talk about is why Psalm 83 is a prophecy. Some people think it's simply a prayer. Why Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 are different prophecies. I just showed you a few differences on those prior maps. Why Psalm 83 precedes Ezekiel 38. Why Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 are pre-tribulation prophecies. Some people think Ezekiel 38 happens in the tribulation. I'm gonna give you my reasons why I don't think that's the case. Why Psalm 83 was not fulfilled in the Arab-Israeli War of 1948. Some people think that's when it found fulfillment. Why Psalm 83 could happen now as a now prophecy, but why Ezekiel 38 is a next prophecy. Many people are watching Ezekiel 38 very closely. They think it could happen now at the present time. It's drawing near. We have reasons to believe that, but I believe it's not next. Not now. I believe it's going to happen as a next event. It has some preconditions. Uh, But we'll turn our attention to Ezekiel 38 first, it's a much more widely taught and more popularized prophecy. We see an image up here of President Rani of Iran, Prime Minister Erdogan of Turkey, and President Vladimir Putin of Russia. They had met on September 7th at a summit in Tehran to discuss the normalization of Syria after the Syrian revolution is now winding down, and Russia has been involved over there. Uh, And so... It's very interesting that we have three. These are all represent, leaders of countries represented in Ezekiel 38. Turkey, Iran, and Russia are a few of them. And they're meeting. Now, they are not probably con- cognizant of Ezekiel 38 or, or their country's roles in that. And they may not even be the, involved in that prophecy. They may be out of office or dead by that time this prophecy happens. But if that prophecy is about to happen in the very near future, these people may actually be involved in that prophecy, especially Gog of Magog, which we believe would be the Russian president lead, president or leader at that time. Now these relationships are solidifying themselves. Um, Russia and Iran's relationship has never been better. They have recently put in the S-300 missile defense system in Iran, which is a, a state-of-the-art missile defense system. They have con- they helped Iran build the Bashar nuclear reactor in Iran. And they've got contracts to build eight more with Iran. So that relationship is only getting stronger. It's not going to go away. Turkey also has got a contract with Russia to build a nuclear facility by 2023, worth $20 billion, I believe is a price tag on that. And they're going to get the S-400 missile defense system. They're contracting that from Russia. So that relationship is developing as well. Plus Turkey and Iran don't like Israel. And Iran wants to wipe them off of the map, so we're looking at a scenario that appears to be pointing towards Ezekiel 38, just in in the national relationships of these key leaders. Now, as we talk about Ezekiel 38, it's important to understand that we need to look at the whole prophecy. There's 52 verses in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and take it very literally, and I'm gonna tell you the golden rule of interpretation here written by David L. Cooper, who was around between 1886 and 1965, And what he said is when the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning unless the facts of the immediate context, studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly otherwise. So what he's saying is when the plain sense of a prophetic scripture makes common sense, then you don't really need to seek any other sense. You don't need to allegorize it. You don't need to spiritualize it. And with the comes to Ezekiel 38 and 39, the details are incredibly uh, clear. And you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand them, and you don't need to allegorize any of Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I think God made it that way because this is the event you're going to see that he's going to make his holy name known to the nations of the world. He wanted it to be clear. Yes, we have to understand some of the old populations that Ezekiel's referring to and some of the technologies he may have been referring to but we, have, but we can read the whole entirety literally of, the, of his prophecies. Now, when it comes to Ezekiel 38, here's another map up there, the general consensus of who the nine-member coalition is and their modern-day equivalents. We believe there'll be a, Russia will be involved in some of the breakaway republics of the Soviet Union, the southern steps of Russia. You've got Turkey, Iran, Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, Libya. You might have some North African countries of Algeria. Morocco, and T- Tunisia. So that's that outer ring of countries. Again, they don't share common borders with Israel, but they will come together and invade Israel, and we'll go over the details of that in a moment. So the first six verses of Ezekiel 38 identify the populations by their ancient names of Meshech and Togarma and Tabal, but this is who we believe their modern-day equivalents are most likely on that list up there. Then we get in to find out a little bit more about the prophecy. And we find out the motive of the prophecy. The Russian leader, we're going to call him Gog, he represents a leader, commonly taught, and he comes up with an evil plan. And he says, Thus says the Lord God on that day, in the latter days, this is a latter days prophecy, we're told in prior verses, it shall come to pass that evil thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan, and you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. Now I want you to notice I've highlighted a couple terms here. There's are very specific details. He's got an evil plan. He's going to come up against a land of unwalled villages. He will go to a peaceful people that are dwelling safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, and he's alluding to Israel. We find other details that says it'll be Israel he's going to invade. Unwalled villages, peaceful people dwelling safely. The plan goes on to say his motive is to come and take this great plunder and booty to stretch out your hand against these waste places that are again inhabited and against a, a people gathered from the nations. And the Jews, of course, fit that model. who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land, of the promised land. So let's just look at those details and see if they exist right now. Because if these details don't exist right now, Ezekiel 38 can't happen right now until these other details fit. So what it says, is they're going to be gathered from the nations in the latter years, Who thinks we're living in the latter years? Okay, that's why you at a prophecy talk, right? (laughs) And brought back from the sword, representing persecution, Israel into a land which had long been desolate. And I think we would all agree, I won't ask for a show of hands, that has been going on, folks, and that's a miracle. That the Jews even survived the Holocaust, and God is bringing them out of these different cultures and nations back into the land of Israel, and they've had to fight for their survival. So we're gonna say, well, those details exist, but let's look at those other ones that are very important. Are they a peaceful people living in a land of unwalled villages, dwelling securely without walls, bars, or gates, having the silver and gold and acquired livestock and goods, the great plunder and booty that Russia is going to put this massive coalition together to come after? And I guess my answer to that would be, well, let's take a look at that, because I don't think those conditions are in place right now. And again, if they're not in place, and if we look at this stuff literally, this prophecy still has some preconditions, and these are those preconditions. So let's talk about the walls for a minute. Israel has a wall coursing down the middle of Israel proper, keeping Palestinian terrorism out of it. It's about four hundred three miles long, and it's at some point it's twenty feet tall, filled with concrete. It's hard to get around that being a, not being a wall. I mean, this dwelling with a wall is called a partition wall, but that's not all. The only wall they've got. They also, this came out in a headline just recently in September 6th, a 30-foot-tall border wall goes up. The Israeli Defense Forces says Hezbollah and the Lebanese army are colluding. So Hezbollah and the Lebanese army are colluding, and so Israel's building a wall. uh, And and it says in the subcaption in the the article, it says the Israeli military this week publicly unveiled this 11-kilometer-long, 9-meter-tall concrete border wall, concrete, along the Lebanese border. The concrete barrier is designed to serve two main functions, protect Israeli civilians and soldiers from sniper attacks. You see that big tower up there. And prevent infiltration from Israel by Hezbollah's operatives. So this is a seven-mile-long, 29-feet-high wall. They began work in early of 2018. This article comes out when they unveil it in September. They've been working on this wall. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to prevent from infiltration. That's why they're building the wall. Not to keep tourists inside of Israel. They're trying to protect Hezbollah from infiltrating into Israel. And, you know, folks, when they used to build walls in the Old Testaments and Ezekiel's days, they did that to prevent infiltration. So we have that wall, and that's a northern Lebanon border. But we've even got more. They've been building walls for quite some time. Here's some headlines, not too, re- uh, they're relatively recent. Israel completes a different Lebanon border wall around Matula. This was in 2002. Another wall on the northern border of Israel. Then you have Israel starts, this is in May of this year. Israel starts building a sea barrier to defend against Gaza attacks. They're actually trying to protect out in the waters from Gaza attacks coming in around, the sea barrier, sea barrier. They're not a peaceful people going securely with that in mind. Uh, the Palestinian protesters have been, they, there's an article that LA Times, they breached the Gaza border. fence three we were killed. see It's got a fence right there trying to keep the palestinians out from the gaza border as well another one is Israel starts a massive fence on the southern border with jordan that's on the east of israel they're concerned about the syrian refugees and and that sort of thing so they're building walls on pretty much every one of their land-bearing borders so they're not dwelling without walls i cannot give that a check mark are they dwelling securely Uh, The Hebrew words that Ezekiel uses two times in Ezekiel 38, 8 and Ezekiel 38, verse 11 are yeshav Fatak, and he tells us they'll be brought out of the nations and dwell safely in unwell villages, a peaceful people who dwell safely or dwell securely. Now these Hebrew words, uh, when you look at their precedent used by Ezekiel several times in his book, are not dealing with land for peace diplomacy, they're dealing with they've won a war. And now they can tear down walls and they can dwell securely and they can be a peaceful people because their enemies have been dealt with militarily. So if they're not dwelling securely now without walls as a peaceful people, when will they? Well, Ezekiel fortunately tells us 10 chapters earlier when that's going to happen and how that's going to happen. And what he tells us is, he says in Ezekiel 28, verses 24 through 26, thus says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and we gave check marks on that earlier, and am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will deliver I will then they will dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely, Yeshavvatak. They will build houses and plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely, Yeshavatak. But when? When Donald Trump puts forward a peace plan. No, that's not not what it says. As a matter of fact, he might not be putting that forward if Israel has elections. They're talking about maybe having elections right now. And that Donald Trump's Eastern time would be deferred back further. But not to get off the topic. When will they dwell securely? He says, when I execute judgments on those around them who despise them, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. Okay, there's people around Israel that need judgments executed upon them that despise Israel. They've harbored an ancient hatred. Now, it's not the Ezekiel 38 invaders because they aren't around them. They're in the outer ring of countries. So we have to ask ourselves, who are those people around Israel that despise Israel? And they happen to be in Psalm 83. We're gonna talk about that a little later. And of course you got Lebanon with the Hezbollah are, that inner circle of countries, you got Syria and Iraq. Now these countries have gone to war with Israel at various points in time. We'll be going through some of those wars. And uh, they have harbored an ancient hatred against Israel from time immemorial. And judgments apparently need to be executed upon them so that Israel can dwell securely and be a peaceful people and tear down those walls. So we go on further in Ezekiel 38. We'll visit Psalm 83 shortly. And what we find out as we go further is that this invasion of all those countries into little tiny Israel is too formidable for Israel to stop, the Israeli Defense Forces. And we don't even find the American armies involved in this. What we find is that God stops this invasion supernaturally. In Ezekiel 39, 38, verses 19 through 23, we find that there's gonna be a great earthquake and and it'll panic these soldiers. Every man's sword will be against his brother. There'll be pestilence and bloodshed and flooding rains, great hailstone, fire and brimstone and it will wipe out the invaders. Now, if we're here, we're gonna be watching that on CNN and no military victory or battle. There'll be Fox, some people will be watching it on Fox. I'm not going to get political. But uh, wherever channel we're going to be watching it on, if we're here, uh, we're going to be blown away. Is, you know, how this, how's the news we're going to cover that? So anyway, that's, uh, that's what God's going to do. And uh, we see that these relationships are developing, and we see that this prophecy is stage-setting for final fulfillment. And when that's done, it'll be undeniable to the world. We find out in Ezekiel 39, verse 7. God is going to, through that event, he will make his holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. Notice that's Israel, not the church. And I will not let them, Israel, profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. The world's going to go, that was a supernatural scenario. I mean, who's protecting Israel? Israel has a God? Is that what's going on? We find out in the book of Revelation with the judgments that come forward, that even though they come to recognize that God is the God of Israel, they don't accept him. You now there's judgments coming upon people and things like that. But it'll be clear that the God of Israel supernaturally kept Israel in existence. So it says he's calling them my people of Israel. That means there had to be an Israelis in the land of Israel. And it says the Holy One in Israel, which means there had to be a land of Israel. So any attempts to kill the Jews would never, would never succeed. And any attempt to take over the land, which you'll see in Psalm 83, they wanna take over the land of Israel. It can't succeed, because God is gonna make good on this promise. Now I wanna, as I conclude with Ezekiel 38 and 39, we find out in the aftermath, as we go into Ezekiel 39 verses nine through 16, the little Israel we know today is gonna be different after this major prophecy. It says the Israelis will burn the weapons for seven years. The weapons of the enemies, they'll be converting it to fuel. And so, and, I'll, and some of us believe because that clue gives us a detail that this could actually be a pre-tribulation prophecy. And let's explain how that could be the case. The seven-year tribulation timetable you see up there breaks the seven-year tribulation, also called Daniel's 70th week, into two time slots. Three and a half years is the first half, and three and a half years is the second half, commonly called the great tribulation. Judgments are taking place in these events, the bowl judgments and trumpet judgments, etc. But what we find out, you'll see that Israel goes into the seven-year tribulation period feeling that they've got a peace agreement, because it confer- a peace agreement's being confirmed by the Antichrist, we're told, in Daniel nine twenty-seven for seven years. So the first three and a half years, they're living in a pseudo-peace, they think they're at peace, so they could easily burn weapons, convert them to fuel, etc. But we find out in the middle of the tribulation, and Jesus warns the Jews about this in Matthew 24, that the Antichrist is going to go into the middle of the Jewish temple, which will exist at that time, and he's going to do an abominable act, and he's going to come out and try to commit genocide of the Jewish people, and Jesus warns them when he goes into the temple, flee immediately to the mountains. He's referring to southern Jordan, Petra area there, and because the Antichrist is going to try to commit genocide. Now, Jesus doesn't say that, but we picked that up from Zechariah 13:8 and elsewhere. The bottom line is they're fleeing. They're not stopping to burn weapons. They're stopping to grab weapons to use them, probably, right? So they could burn weapons for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. They could burn weapons before the tribulation, three and a half years. But they are not likely going to be burning weapons in the second half. So therefore, we think that the Ezekiel 38, and I'm not the only one who thinks this, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, Ron Rhodes, David Reagan, many others, think it's very possible that what will happen is Ezekiel 38 will conclude at least three and a half years before the tribulation. They could burn weapons for three and a half years. Then they could burn weapons three and a half years into the first half of the tribulation. But they, at that point, it's, it ceases as they flee from the genocidal attempt of the Antichrist. Uh, furthermore, we find out that is, is Israel will be burying the hordes of Gog in a place called Haman Gog, in a city called Haman, Hamanah. This place does not exist yet. It, means, it stands for hordes of Gog. We're told uh, that it's going to be east of some dead sea. It will stop past uh, some sea in a, in a valley east of some sea. And so we, I've got some red marks up there. I don't think it'll be east of the Sea of Galilee. That's not conducive to burying the hordes of Gog. plus that's where Syria is. It's not going to be east of the Mediterranean, Mediterranean, that is Israel proper. I wouldn't think it's going to be there because, you know, uh, there'll be contaminated soldiers, etc. It's not likely they would bury them inside of downtown Tel Aviv. Uh, however, east of the Dead Sea is a really good location if Israel has possession of Jordan, which I'm going to show you that they will, I think by this time, have annexed portions of Jordan, if not all of Jordan, into their territory. Um, so I think the Valley of Hamagog will actually be east of the Sea of Jordan. That's, I'm just my speculation on that, but it's interesting. And that would require that Israel would have possession of that by that time. They would be burying the dead for seven months. And he's dealing with these corpses, probably contaminated. And what happens is that Israel gets world renown from all of the above. Converting the fuel with the technologies they have at that time, the weapons and the fuel. Uh, burying the dead and for seven months in Hamagog. And the world's going to be blown away after that supernatural stop and seeing Israel do that. So that's Ezekiel 38, powerful prophecy. It's a prophecy God's going to put the world on. Notice that He's the covenant keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God of the Bible. And it's a powerful event, and we might be here for it if it's a pre tribulation event, but we could be raptured prior. Uh, I'm a pre trib rapture believer. I believe Jesus Jesus will keep us from, spare us from the wrath that comes forth in the tribulation period. Now we're going to turn our attention to Psalm 83, which is a different prophecy, and it's the concluding Arab Israeli war prophecy written 3,000 years ago by Asaph. Before I start, I want to tell you about an interesting development that happened in 2006, it appears to have been a very prophetic events were occurring. At the time, you had a war going on between Hezbollah and Israel for 34 days between middle of July to the middle of August. Hezbollah lobbed over 4,000 missiles into northern Israel and kept many Israelis into bomb shelters for weeks. And uh, at the same time that that was going on, in the middle of that time, on July 26th in Ireland, uh, a excavation was going on, a construction project, and they were dealing in in the excavating this Irish bog soil, very muddy bog soil, and they had to stop the project. This was not an archaeological dig with toothbrushes. This is big old bulldozers. They had to stop the project because they found some antiquities. There was 22 different parchments of the Psalms, buried in this bog soil, for we believe almost 1200 years, and most of them were pretty much ruined. But they're in the Ireland Museum, trying to be restored. Except very interesting, one of the Psalms, as you see the picture up there, was not destroyed. And it was open in place and legible. And that was Psalm 83. So in the middle of this conflict that was going on, they find this, there were headlines going on. This herald that is the Irish Dead Sea Scrolls, New York Times in July 27 said that it was called a major discovery. Uh, you know, Associated Press said ancient book of Psalms found in an Irish bog now, at the same time, these headlines were going on with the war in Lebanon. And so, for instance, uh, Washington Post said, Israel mourns, Hezbollah exalts. That's entirely going on over with Israel. This was going on in Ireland, this Dead Sea Scrolls discovery. And then World Net Daily had one that says, and Abog linked to Israel's current war. Interesting, they made the connection, World Net Daily. Now, what's interesting about that is when you look at the 31,000-plus verses in the Bible, the... Uh, 150 psalms the 1189 chapters in the bible there's only one place where you would ever see any possible resemblance of a hezbollah in conflict with israel and that would be the inhabitants of tyre listed in psalm 83 okay so that's very interesting to me that this discovery was made could have been made 400 years prior psalm 83 could have been destroyed like the other manuscripts so that's very interesting uh, was that coincidence or was that providence? At the same time, I was writing about Psalm 83. It was been a vastly overlooked prophecy, and it deals with the epic Psalm 83 war, uh, the prelude, the ep- event itself, and then the, and the aftermath. And that book was called Israelistine. Pastor Tom Hughes has read that book, and at that point was interested in Psalm 83. Uh, that book has since been updated. That came out in 2008 by the Psalm 83 book, which was after the Arab Spring. I wanted to update the book and also talk about the objections that were coming forward about Psalm 83 is it really a prophecy is it part of Ezekiel 3 some of those things I'll be addressing as we talk about Psalm 83 right now so Psalm 83 was written by Asaph the psalmist he wrote 12 different psalms you see the ones listed up there he was one of king David's worship leaders but Asaph was also a prophet we find this out in a couple of different verses Second Chronicles 29.30, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord and the words of David and of Asaph, the seer, the Hebrew word is Jesah, and it means a prophet. He was a beholder of vision, a prophet. Also, First Chronicles 25, another proof text, the sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. So we have a prophecy from a prophet. Uh, some people simply think it was just a prayer, but we have a prophet here, and you're going to see the details. You also look at very literally. In Psalm 83, like you do Ezekiel 38. So he goes on to say in the first five verses, Do not keep silent, O God, do not hold your peace, and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult, and those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people, and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more, for they have consulted together with one consent, they form a confederacy against you. So what we have here, Asaph is saying, don't be silent, don't hold your peace, this is a problem, God. And he's saying that there's going to be a confederacy that forms. This is not a chronological list of Israel's historic enemies, and you'll see that in a minute when he identifies them for us. But it's a contemporary confederacy that comes together and forms a plan, crafty council, with the intentions of destroying the nation of Israel and banishing the name of Israel from the textbooks and everything else, that the name of Israel would be remembered no more. That's what he's calling to our attention about 3,000 years ago. And he goes on to tell us, he identifies who they are by their ancient names. And I'm going to read some of them to you, but then I'm going to show, tell you their modern-day equivalents. But we notice he's got the tents of Edom listed first. Whenever you see a population listed first in the Bible, it tends to be significant among the other coalition members. And so uh, we'll say, well, who are they? And and notice they're listed in a habitation condition, the tents of, which normally means refugee conditions or military encampments when you come to the Bible. And he goes and he talks about the Ishmaelites and Moab and Hagarines and a whole list of them there, Felicia, that would be where the Hamas are now in the Gaza. Inhabitants of Tyre, the Hezbollah happen to be there these days. Assyria, Bashar al-Assad in Syria there. So he lists them to us, and they've helped the children of Lot, which would be Jordan, Moab, and Ammon. They're listed up there. And we're told in verse 12 that their plan, their motive for destroying the nation of Israel, is they said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God, the promised land for our possession. So unlike Ezekiel 38, which is coming for the booty and the plunder, the Psalm 83 belligerents are coming to dispossess Israel, destroy Israel and dispossess them of the promised land. So, who are the, the the tents of Edom? Who are they? Who are all these people by their ancient names—the Ammonites and the Moabites and the, the Gigabytes and the Megabytes—and yeah, I've said that a million times. You, some of you probably heard that joke. But um, you see them up there by their ancient names. That's who they were. That's their geographical locations. Here's who they are today. Uh, oh, and by the way, the tents of Edom—and this is a picture of the Palestinians in 1949 in refugee conditions. And I believe we have a correlation of the tents of Edom and I'll be explaining how that happened in just a minute. But I think we're talking about the tents of Edom, they have ethnic Edomites have ethnical representation in the Palestinians of today. So keep that in mind, the tents of Edom are an important, uh, important first position in this confederacy of those 10 member nations. So how does this happen? Well, here's who they are today. You know, we showed this map earlier, the inner circle that shares common borders with Israel, you see Hamas, Hezbollah, Palestinians, etc. So what happened was, after World War I, in 1917, the Ottoman Empire was defeated, and they had controlled the Middle East for about 400 years, and then France and Britain took over the area, and they started to give the Arabs their statehood back. And you can see Egypt in 1922, and Saudi Arabia and Iraq in 1932, and Iran, formerly Persia 1935, Lebanon, 1943, Syria and Jordan 1946. But it was, then it became time for Israel to get their country. So in 1948, there comes Israel. So the Arabs got their states, but now it's time for Israel to get their statehood. Uh, up until 1948, that land, for, since 135 A.D., was called Palestine. So there were Arabs living in it the Arabs of Palestine. So now all of a sudden it's time for Israel to get their land, and there's a vote in the United Nations, and Resolution 181, the partition plan comes forward, and all these Arab states voted against there being in Israel. They didn't want Israel in the neighborhood. They wanted to destroy the nation of Israel, that the name of Israel can remember no more. But if there is no Israel, they don't even have to do that, right? So they voted against it. And at the time there were no terrorist populations inside of these places, but there are now. So they, they told the Arabs of Palestine, listen, we voted against it, they still passed the resolution, but this Israel will not exist. You need to come out of the lands, of which are going to be called Israel, it's going to be Palestine, and we'll to destroy the Jews. We've got these big formidable armies, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and many other populate Lebanon, etc. And that was a terrible miscalculation, the Jews won that war. Right? So now you have this refugee crisis. The Palestinian, now they're called the Palestinian refugees. Here's, this is what happened to them. They be, this is them in 1949. Now they've got nowhere to go. They can't go back into Israel proper. So in my estimation, Ezekiel, one of the reasons we don't think Psalm 83 found fulfillment in 1948 is that the tents of Edom didn't even exist until 1949. They were a byproduct of the 1948 war. That's one of the reasons why I don't think it's found final fulfillment yet. And here's who they are today. Of course, they've got weapons and they're dangerous. As a picture of the Hamas. So we go on, and the prophecy tells us it says, verses 9 through 12 uh, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook of Kushan, who perished at Endor, who became like refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Orban, and like Zeb, yes, like their princes, like Siban Zamuna, who said, Let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. That was their motive. So what we have to do here is Asaph is asking God, he's petitioning God as to how to deal with this. Do not hold your peace. Do not be silent, O God. Do not be still. Here's what I'd like you to do, God. Okay? So he's drawing our attention back to the book of Judges. He's not drawing our attention back to the time when Moses came out of the Egyptian bondage with the Hebrews. At that time, they were all just refugees. No, he's drawing our attention to an actual history about Israeli defense forces in their early formation stages back in the book of Judges he had that precedent that he could draw from. And so he's saying, deal with these belligerents of Psalm 83 the way you did in the book of Judges. So we go to Judges 4 through 8. And when we talk about Sisera and Jabin, Sisera was the general of King Jabin of the Canaanites. And the Canaanites had oppressed during the time of Deborah, Judges chapter 4 and 5, you can read about this, for 20 years. And Deborah said that oppression will end once and for all. And so Her general Barak and the armies defeated the Canaanites. Point one: You'll never hear and you'll never find in the Bible or even hear hear historically that the Canaanites ever oppressed the Israelites ever again. Okay, so he's saying thus far, take out the oppressors that they never oppress us anymore. But then it gets a little more details when you go into Judges chapter six through eight, dealing with Midian. He's talking about Midian and and. Zeba and Zalmunna were the kings of the Midianites, and Orm and Zeba were the princes of them. And he's drawn our attention to Gideon and his 300-man army in the book of Judges. And you probably all know the story, but Gideon and his 300-man army, along with the tribe of Ephraim, destroyed 120,000 Midianites. And, And so the Midianites had oppressed the Israelis for seven years. And Gideon was told that it's time for that to end. So they won that war, and Gideon killed... Uh, Ziba one of the kings of the Midianites and his, his men killed Ureb and Zib the princes. So they destroyed the infantry and the leadership and the oppression stopped. So I think what Asaph is saying, I want you to deal please deal with this Arab aggression, that's harbored an ancient hatred, those around Israel that need judgments executed upon them according to Ezekiel 28, deal with them from top to bottom, infantry all the way up to the leadership, get them out of the way and have them never oppress us again. So that's what I think the scenario is. And he goes on to say, give us more details, and I'm summarizing in Psalm 83, 13 through 15, make them like whirling dust, chaff before the wind, stubble, burning wood, blazing mountain fire like the tempest before the storm. So he goes on, he starts talking to us about how he would like us to deal with, those are military type terms. Now we see that the oppression still occurred in the Six Day War with Egypt, Jordan, and Syria. So, therefore, I don't believe Psalm 83 found fulfillment in 1948. The oppression did not stop; it happened again in 1967, mainly Jordan and Syria. Excuse me, Egypt and Syria. So uh, that's another reason those ensuing wars. But I don't think it found its final fulfillment. So, how will God execute judgments around those who despise Israel? Well, He goes on. Asaph goes on to say, as we conclude the Psalm. Fill their faces with shame, the many through belligerence, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Just let them be put to shame and perish, no longer oppress them, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. And, folks, that has not happened yet either. They still worship Allah, not the same God. So how is this going to work out? Remember, Asaph petitioned God to embolden the Israeli defense forces to take out the enemies that they no longer oppress them. We find out that Israel's exceedingly, Israel's defense forces today actually exist in fulfillment of Bible prophecy. We find this out in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel has a dry bones vision. And it turns out that it's Israel scattered out in the nations of the world in a very grave condition. It comes at a time when they say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. And God tells the Ezekiel, prophesy to them, and so he prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet as an exceedingly great army. Now, that's not how they started when they came into Israel, but right now they're very, very powerful. So, uh, basically, you've got the Israeli defense forces that came out of that refugee condition and fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Here's a few of the prophecies that we'll be looking at here. The Palestinian prognosis is very grim. It says, the house of Jacob shall be a fire, House of Joseph aflame, that's the Israeli defence forces, and the house of Esau the Palestinians shall be stubble. Remember he said make them like stubble, like burning chaff. And no survivor shall remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The Esau, father of the Edomites, will have no representation in the Messianic kingdom. There will be a remnant of Jews in there, but there will be no Edomites. Okay, we're gonna look I'm gonna skip that prophecy because that also covers another thing about the Palestinians. few more minutes left to go here. I want to turn our attention to the Gaza because a lot of stuff's going on right now with the Hamas over there, right now. Here's a headline, November 17th. Just recently, Israel blitzed by 400 rockets from the Gaza as tensions reach a boiling point. That was a record-breaking day. 400 missiles came in. This was reported by the Jewish News. There's, their, their future is grim also. Here's what will happen to them, it appears to be. This is an unfulfilled prophecy. In Ezekiel 25, verses 15 through 17, thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines, and that's where the Hamas are in the Gaza area, till eventually, and, and I remember when Ezekiel wrote, there were no Hamas, there was the Philistines and that sort of thing back in that time. And vengeance and spiteful heart to destroy because of the old hatred. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against them, the Philistines, and I will destroy the remnant of the Seacoast. I will ask you great vengeance on them and furious rebukes that they may know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. And the prior verses show that that will be done by Israel when you look at verses that precede that. The Israeli Defense Forces. Let's turn our attention to all the countries around there when they try to lay siege on Jerusalem. Now Trump moved the embassy, U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem recently. And it's, here's what Zechariah 12 says in verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling or drunkenness or dizziness unto all the people round about in that inner circle that share common borders around Israel. The judgments need to be executed upon them so that Israel can dwell securely. When they shall be, lay siege on Judah and against Jerusalem. And they've been doing that ever since Israel became a nation. And apparently it's not over. And so here's how God will deal with that. According to Zechariah, we go a few verses down further, verse 6. In that day, in that day when Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling or dizziness to the surrounding peoples, Here's how God's going to deal with those surrounding peoples. I will make the governors of Judah, read that as the IDF, uh, the word is eluf, elufim, and that is the actual word for lieutenant uh, commanders in Israel's defense forces right now. It's the same word. Uh, Like a fire pan in the woodpile, and like a fiery torch in the sheaves, that they shall devour all the surrounding peoples, not the Ezekiel 38 guys. We know the Israeli defense forces aren't going to stop them. But all the surrounding peoples, on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place. So we have a battlefield that will be a fire pan, and Israeli Defense Forces will be like a fiery torch, and the surrounding peoples will be like sheaves. Israel will clearly dominate in that war, and they will gain victory. Does Israel have people on the right hand and on the left? They do. They're in Psalm 83. Damascus, we'll look at that for a minute. Now, I'm supposed to quit in about two or three minutes, so if anybody has to go, I won't take it personal. I've got about five minutes left. Okay, okay Isaiah 17. Let's look at Syria. We're all watching this one real closely. It's an out prophecy. The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. Someday, Damascus, the oldest continuously inhabited city in recorded history, dates back about 4,000 years, will cease to exist. Folks, we might see that. And that is the capital of Syria. And it tells us that this happens because of the Israeli defense forces in verse 9. In that day, when Damascus gets destroyed, his strong cities, referring to other strong cities in Syria, will be as a forsaken bough and an uppermost branch, which they left because of the children of Israel. Okay? Uh, victory by the Israeli defense forces, and there will be desolation, and we'll find out in verse 14 that it happens overnight. And Israel has the technologies to make this happen overnight. At, at eventide, there's trouble in Damascus and in Syria. And before the morning, he, Damascus and Damascus and pronoun, is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us and a lot of those who rob us. That refers to Syria plundering Israel. And so what happens is one night we're going to be watching Fox. Glad <laughs> yeah. I, I got that right. I'm watching Fox. And we're going to see that there's some trouble brewing for Damascus and Syria. And we're going to go to bed and try to sleep. And we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to turn on the news and Damascus is going to be gone. It's going to be gone. The oldest continuous inhabited city. Folks, you'll use that if you're here as a witnessing tool to let the lost know that you know, Bible prophecy is very important and the God of the Bible is the real, genuine article. we we'll turn our attention to Jordan. A lot of people think, well, there's, we've got Israel has a peace treaty with Jordan, so therefore Psalm 83 can't happen. But I'm going to show you two prophecies where the peace treaty does not come into play, and these prophecies remain unfulfilled. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 2, Therefore behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will cause to be heard an alarm of war in Rabbah of the Ammonites. That would be Ammon, Jordan. An alarm of war. It shall be a desolate mound. Sounds like what's going to happen in Damascus. And her villages shall be burned with fire. Then Israel shall take possession of his inheritance, says the Lord. Now, Israel would not take possession of that area unless they won a war. And when they win a war, they do take over territory. Joshua did it. King David did it. Israeli Defense Forces did it in 1967. It increases the defensibility of their borders. We'll look at one more because I want to make sure that we understand that this Jordan, the peace treaty is not in play in these prophecies and they've not happened yet. Israel's going to annex Jordan. I've heard the remote reproach of Moab and the insults of the people of Ammon. That would be central Jordan and northern Jordan which they reproached against my people, that would be Israel, and they made arrogant threats against their borders. And here's what's going to happen as a result of that. The residue of my people, the Israeli, Israelis, shall plunder them, the Israeli defense forces, and the remnant of my people, the Israelis, shall possess them. So it's, it goes along with Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 2. Israel will actually expand into parts of Jordan and we find out in Obadiah 119, they're going to get up uh, southern Jordan, Gaza, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, are even going to get up into southern Lebanon, and that will become territory for Israel. Uh, Israel has been given land in Genesis 15:18, if Abraham was, from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates, so probably from the Nile to the Euphrates River. You see that land inside of that inner circle. Right now, Israel's a sliver of that, about the size of New Jersey, but at some point, they're going to expand and get all that land. You could literally fit 36 Israels of today into that territory. And when they win some wars, of these that I'm talking about, they will get some of that land. When Jesus returns, he will give them all of that land. So we're going to... Then what will have to happen is something like this with a cold drop. And then they're going to build their temple. <laughs> so as I can conclude, for all that you got to get your children home. Psalm eighty-three and Ezekiel thirty-eight. By review of their different prophecies, we have an inner circle, different enemies versus an outer ring. So they're not one of the same prophecy. The motives are different. They want Psalm eighty-three is dealing with trying to take the land. Ezekiel thirty-eight is trying to take the booty. The defeats are different. The Israeli defense forces are instrumental in divvying out those judgments upon those around them, that need judgments executed upon them in Ezekiel 28. Supernaturally defeated by God in Ezekiel 38. The ancient era of hatred gets ended after Psalm 83, and God makes his holy name known to the nations of the world as a result of that. Now, why do we think Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38 are pre-tribulation prophecies? And I will conclude on that note. Well, I already told you why some of us think Ezekiel 38 is a pre-tribulation prophecy because of the burning of the weapons. There's other reasons I put forward in my Now Prophecies book why I think it's a, a pre-tribulation prophecy, Ezekiel 38. I believe Psalm 83 precedes Ezekiel 38, and Jordan and Israel takes part of Jordan, Damascus gets destroyed, the Palestinians are dealt with, these prophecies I've showed you, and they expand somewhat into the territories of Jordan, And we see that the Israeli defense forces are defeating their foes in Psalm 83 and Isaiah 17 and Jeremiah 49, I showed you. But you know what? I showed you a a timeline up there earlier that the Israeli defense forces are living in a pseudo-peace during the first half of the tribulation period. They're not going to war with the Arabs. And they're fleeing for their lives in the second half of the tribulation. They're not fighting off the Antichrist, and that's when he comes on the scene. So their role to win a war and fight, and they're an exceeding great army in Ezekiel 37.10, and they're involved in these other prophecies, is now to deal with the Arabs that are around there. They're going to execute the judgments. They'll be the tool God uses to execute the judgments, in my estimation, upon Jordan and those other places. And those prophecies will find fulfillment. Remember, those countries are not in Ezekiel 38, those prophecies. Uh, also, the Israeli Defense Forces are not involved in Ezekiel 38. I mean, maybe they're burning the dead or burning the weapons but God stops the, them supernaturally and they're not involved in Armageddon because when the Antichrist comes on the scene Jesus Christ stops that find that in Revelation 19, 11, and 21 so I believe Psalm 83 is something we should be watching for I believe it will set the stage for Ezekiel 38 we could be here for that but you know what we might not be Jesus could come get us tonight